1: And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. For the pod, this may or may not be pod talk. Uh, I just, I don't know. It was, it was just depressing that I, I like um, got a news notification about like you know there are efforts underway at the state level to start standardizing like daylight savings or. Uh, uh, was standard time and it was just like actually both of those things are probably going to kill you because other places have tried it and found that like depression increases 19 percent among people who don't get enough sleep as a result of doing one and depression increases 32 percent as a result of uh you know the decreased amount of daylight time that you have as a result of the other and it's like well it's all just going to kill us Why don't we it just- rocks
0: that like every single study about depression in modern society is like yeah uh everybody has depression we can't figure out why and everyone's <laughs> dying of it literally it's like, oh, maybe there's something going wrong, guys. And it's possibly <laughs> the a, yeah. a bigger structural issue at work there. <laughs> no, 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 you don't understand.
1: It has to do with uh, with our Twitter, with yeah, with, it's, with it's our media consumption. Mostly
0: yeah. media consumption, right? <sighs> I mean, hey man, I've been on Twitter a lot the past couple of days and there's maybe something to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe something to not using it as to usual. Oh boy. Um yeah, I, I, I is, is everybody okay? If I bring back one more Aaron Grossman bit for this pod, for this oh, episode shit. of the podcast, wait, Please. what is this? I'm not sure that I have an incredible, um, uh, like entry into it per se, but the Aaron Grossman film department, well, excuse me, one, ah. one, film department quality <laughs> <laughs> index is definitely relevant here. It'll, Amazing it's, movie for it. Updated. I mean, there's so it starts in an apartment.
0: It starts in an apartment. It, right. it
1: has such beautiful, wonderful shots of Bohemian apartments. It's the most and,
0: spectacularly 1980s movie ever made. Uh, and that's also huge for apartments in IMO.
1: Down to like the logos on Pepsi can. Yeah, dude. Walkie <laughs> guys, which was going to be no spoilers. We're going to be one of my uh, suggested gifts. But uh, yeah, I. Oh, really?
0: Oh, <gasps> a good one. <gasps> yeah. But no spoilers, though. Right
1: jd's previes and cody's noties uh okay JD's well, previews. i we, like that if i remember Kinda sounds if,
0: like an erotic
1: movie mm. from the 70s or <laughs> JD's something jd's <Purvis>. privies <laughs> jd's privates we have a wonderful episode of the podcast for y'all today so thank you very much for listening to trial Love, a literal round podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met or things we games we played i think i said one time at or through the trial on cinema in minneapolis minnesota you can find us on twitter at trial of podcast you can find me Jason Daphnis on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm sorry, that's the wrong way to do things. Uh, find, I'm, I'm a little bit up on coffee. It's the first time we've had coffee at our apartment since before I went on a trip. And uh, yeah, um, you can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. That's where you can also get tickets and find cool new movies and events happening at the Trilon itself. Uh, again, my name is Jason Daphnis. Um, I really don't understand these big corporations. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus.
2: Nice. No coffee for me. I'm Cody Narvison. I taped some ball games for you. I'll bring them by later. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH.
0: I'm Harry Mackin. And I had a quote I was going to say, bring me a beer. But instead, I'd just like to say, Sai Chin, if you're listening to this, I would not treat you the way that your man treats you in this movie. I would not fumble the bag the way that this man did. Uh, so come on the pod.
1: Another absolutely classic. Uh, director married the actress yes. situation for, uh, for a Maggie Chung situation. Years. <laughs> yeah, classic Maggie Chung. Um, oh, gee, what is Steven Spielberg's wife's name? I keep for uh, 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 Kathleen. No, from it's not uh, from fucking Temple uh, Temple of Doom. Temple of yeah. Doom yeah. I don't remember. Her name. It's Kate not Kat a Super Shepherd situation though. Luckily,
0: because yeah, uh, Edward Yang wasn't married to the production. <laughs> A <laughs> person <laughs> on this recently
1: married to somebody else who helped make In that right. movie uh, But this is not a podcast about Peter Bogdanovich uh, Not this time anyway It was for a little while, not this time uh, This is a podcast about uh, movies Like the one we're about to discuss God, this is a terrible lead-in um, You should know that uh, the Trilon is do- currently doing a series On the Edward- films of Edward Yang You have two more chances to catch them at the Trilon um, We have, after, th- after the one that you're about To hear us discuss uh, Which, of course, I will not say the name of we have Yee um, Yee, and uh, that night or that time on the, that day on the beach. Um, later this month in March, check them out if you get time. If not, I think most of these are pretty available, at least through the Criterion Channel. That's where I've been watching them when I can't catch them at the Trilon. I definitely would have fallen asleep in front of our previous movie, A Brighter Summer Day. Check out our feed for more about that movie. But for right now, in the absence, once more, hopefully for the last time over a little while, of his. Uh, calendar invite acceptations and rejections have been accurate uh we have one more where i must where i've taken it upon myself uh burden bearer that i am um to do the uh, uh patented aaron grossman summary under license one final time from aaron grossman excuse me ag enterprises incorporated good god today's film is uh taipei story it's a 1985 drama film directed by edward yang Uh, In it, Chin and Lung were childhood sweethearts whose lives drifted apart in the years since childhood, I guess. I didn't think about this one too hard. After Chin is laid off from her office job, she and Lung plan to move to the States, but their plans are derailed when Lung surrenders his savings to help Chin's father pay off loan sharks. Uh, Unable to find a job and maintain Lung's attention, Chin, Chin seeks solace in her younger sister's hoodlum antics and those of her friends uh meanwhile uh lung struggles to leave behind his glory days as a little league star little league baseball star i should have had a uh, the bat striking the ball sound effect do, 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 this, but, uh, meanwhile lung struggles to leave behind his glory days as a little league star long enough to see a future for himself and chin uh both are left stranded between pasts they can't leave behind and futures they want but simply can't afford um this was a uh, it's considered one of the first and best examples of the new Taiwanese cinema movement uh, from the mid eighties. And it was one of the movies that helped um, cement Edward Yang's sort of prominence in the movement and on the world stage uh, and set him to create movies like or uh, summer day, Yi Yi, etc. Terrorizers that, uh, that we'll be discussing. Yeah, maybe not that one, but we'll be discussing a few of them on this podcast as the weeks come and go. Um, this was the second time I saw this movie, I believe, had all of us seen it previously to this showing? Uh all three of us on this podcast? No. No, Cody, how would it go down this? This is time, Cody no. This first time. Cody's no D's. Uh tell me what uh, you thought of it then.
2: Yeah, um quite liked it. Uh I had to so I I watched it on the aforementioned Criterion channel, which that's the only time I'm gonna say it because they're not getting ad space uh on this podcast. So pony up Jonathan Criterion. That's exactly right. Um, William Fickner from Drive Angry. Uh, yeah, it's a couple things really stood out, uh, to me. Uh, I think a couple obvious ones for me specifically and obvious ones just from our mileage on this podcast up to this point. I'm sure we'll get into them more. Um, even more so, I think than, uh, the, the Edward Yang films I've seen up to this point, very like, folk like space focused and very especially getting into the last like twenty to thirty minutes of the movie, really just like letting the environment kind of do the talking for you which uh which I really appreciated, but I did find myself being okay like self tell yourself what like explain to yourself what happened in like the the last like you know few movements of the movie, and I was like, oh wait, I can't really do that in in words that um seem uh rational to like you know the the normal movie going person but um that didn't diminish my enjoyment by any means it was just like a very distinct uh shift whereas even with like a brighter summer day i feel like for as as tedious as some of the movements got i could relate like oh yeah one of these 20 characters was doing you know the any of these number of things all that is to say Watching this film as, uh, or having it be a precursor to the things that we've watched um, from Yang up to this point. Uh, Genuinely fascinating, and I'm still sort of um, attaching coherent thoughts around them. Uh, And I'm looking forward to to talking about those more. Uh, But I did have to stop watching the movie on a couple of occasions, once it became painfully clear that baseball was being used in a rather like nefarious thematical sense in this movie, like baseball as the stand-in for like not like being focused on the past, like not not um allowing for oh, like growth or progression, big loser, yeah, specifically, not not a good look for uh, for the baseball fellows out there. But I like I loved that. I, I thought that was um a really um it, like a, a incisive and fascinating deployment of baseball and i i guess this movie is exhibit a um i pro- it's probably come up before i mean moneyball is not necessarily like a um a glorification of baseball on the whole um even though i read it that way because i am one of the aforementioned baseball fellas for better and for worse but seeing baseball de- like i don't know as again as a motif deployed in that sense um really really got me going. And I had to just like, pause, kick back on the couch and be like, man,
1: um, <laughs> this I actually, baseball I, actually love sucks. I sincerely no, love this. I had no idea that it was going to hit you. Like now, what was it about? If we can focus on that, what was it about its depictions of baseball as that? Like, look at this fucking loser. Who's never going to move forward with his life. He keeps looking back at his former glory. Was it be- just because they chose baseball? Cause it could have been a lot of different things. Was it because they chose baseball as the vector of that?
2: Yeah. And I'll, I'll handicap myself a little bit just because I feel like I don't necessarily want this to be, um, like a rehashing of Moneyball where I'm just like on a, on a, it's r- your like, podcast, wind me up guy. and let me go for 45 minutes. Um, no, I, 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 I want to hear what everybody thinks about this as well. Um, but the fact that, um, I mean, I, I don't know how much of this is accidental versus intentional of like the focus on lung being a former baseball player and it is, It is like little league, not that it, that isn't nothing, but as far as I can tell, the characterization is like he's a former, he's going back to his local team. It is a little league team. And so we're thinking like at most age, like 13 years, uh, or younger. And because when you think about the little league world series, which I know Mm -hmm. Williamsport came up. Uh, in this movie, and that's like where the Little League World Series takes place. Well, they I won, them. right?
0: They're the 1986 yeah. World Champions. 19, so, but, yeah, it was
1: 69. Right. Yeah, 69.
0: Excuse me. Yeah, you're right.
1: Much earlier, nice. right? Line.
0: Right. Yeah they
2: they were the champs, and I, like I, I couldn't help but think, and I this could just be me misappropriating or, or my misperception because like I didn't come from a, a city that had Little League World Champions or anything like that. But the idea, I, in my mind, even when you're younger, like if you win the Little League World Series, yeah, every so often you hear about like, you know, oh, this this player, they're they're breaking through to the major league stage. And oh, hey, fun fact, they played in the Little League World Series. Most of the time, those kids aren't going on to do much of anything. It's just like, oh, they were really interested in baseball when they were 13. They're not making it their like lifestyle. Mm-hmm. personality but it comes up all the time in this movie and like multiple people rub it in this dude's face um namely, <laughs> like at, a, namely at the bar like yeah, a, a
1: supernatural interest in the little league world championships that nobody's really expressed in the real world but in cinema the power of right. cinema you get to imagine a world where everybody's always talking well, about it exactly you yeah. get
0: the you get the feeling or at least i got the feeling that this is probably the only time taiwan basically ever won that world championship little league right and i think like that's important too right is that like first of all baseball is not like a quote unquote taiwanese game right like it is one of the more loaded american symbols in this movie which is full of like loaded foreign symbols um it's it's this Moment in his life where, first of all, like as he lies dying, spoilers. um, Literally, the the voiceover narration he hears is that he's like now Taiwan's hero, right? Taiwan's most beloved child, or he and his best friend who carried the team to victory. Um, I think uh, Cody's definitely right. Like it's super important that it's pre-adolescent, right? Like it's before it's this like Halcyon days of you know simplicity. Like his erstwhile sort of Japan girlfriend told him, right? Like it's this symbol of a simpler time but it's also a time when he could be the best and excel and be the lead like the main character and the hero of a game that does not belong to him right like even though he's playing by somebody else's rules they nonetheless become the stars of it which is like this is a movie about Like native Taiwanese people being left behind by their own city, right? Like, like Chinese corporations and Japanese corporations and American corporations, because of the unfettered capitalism of the 80s have started to sort of like slice and dice Taiwan into tiny pieces for the exploitation of foreign powers. Meanwhile, the actual native Taiwanese are growing poorer and poorer. They have fewer and fewer um, opportunities. Uh, this guy owns a fabric store, right? And it's a fabric store in a uh, an older part of Taiwan that's literally being overshadowed by giant buildings that are being built for foreign corporations. And so you can see why from his perspective, like he's thinking back to this time when like life was simpler and it actually felt like I had a shot and it actually informs exactly. a lot of, like, what he wants to be doing, right? Like, he he says at one point, like, I fight with um others to do justice to myself. In his mind, he's still trying to be that guy, right? I think that informs a ton of his behavior and a ton of his motivations. So you're right, Cody. Like, it's super important to, like, the overall, like, story. and And I really loved that as well. I also really loved, like the way that that he and um sorry, we're talking about um Lung, uh, the the main character the sort of co main character along with Chin. Um uh, he also like treats everybody like they're part of his team, right? Like he has this very like coach or not coach but sort of like star player holding everything together mentality throughout this that that also felt very informed um by his background in baseball to me it's sort of like you know like like the the player who's sort of like gotta act as mentor to everybody else that's kind well, of what he's trying to do very ineffectually throughout this movie
1: yeah that's it makes me think of what uh, i think guan was the name of the character the uh his paramour from japan from tokyo right meets again years she's later in like one in amazing Park. scene <laughs> that, that scene is amazing and one of the things that she says is i forget the exact wording but like that he doesn't know how to love anybody he knows how to pity them that he like or sympathize really right or right. i think
0: it is pity no you're the, right the I the translation think it is pity. that
1: i saw on criterion channel was pity but yeah like that concept of he doesn't really know the depth of, like he doesn't go through his life with that depth of feeling which as we can talk about later probably is what leads to his complete lack of attachment or at least I guess like maybe he feels put upon lack of attachment to chin. Like he feels some uh, obviously childhood sweetheart energy there, something that he'd like to pursue, but not in any meaningful like material way. And I think that's sort of what puts, uh, you know, I think that like just the way that Guan, this person who has been out of his life for years and did was only for it was only in his life for you know a limited amount of time. The fact that she has that perspective on him and can still identify that like, um, pathology so to speak of like he he does have that like quarterbacking thing he lends money to a man that does not that even his own daughter knows doesn't deserve that kind of um, and also you who know.
0: used to beat his daughter who is that's now like the love yeah. of his life apparently right <laughs> that's
1: that's that's where i was getting is like he's his dad's or excuse me her dad is abusive he still feels the need to bail him out and like squander what I'm presuming was most of his life savings, at least enough to get across the boat or excuse me, across the, across the ocean to get, you know, starting the import business with his brother-in-law. Um, He like feels that sort of like compulsion to maybe help or serve, but not to like actually have a, a depth of relationship and feeling there with, I guess, anybody in this movie, let alone the person that's like staged as his childhood sweetheart, like his love interest. It was like, I guess the, Metaphor of baseball is bringing out a lot of different things for this movie, I guess.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up uh, the Guan scene, right? I think that that scene for kind of for better or worse, I really love that scene. It's kind of a codex for understanding the whole movie, right? Like, I think that she kind of shows up and just explains the theme of the movie uh, in so many words, um, which is which is cool. It's also like. It really demonstrates what I think my favorite thing about this movie is, which is that like Edward Yang is so effective at telegraphing the themes that he's trying to impart visually that scenes like that are almost perfunctory, right? Like I, I, this was the first Edward Yang movie I saw. Um I fell in love with it, even though I think it's probably my um least most favorite of edward yang's movies if that makes sense um in that like i think it's a fucking amazing movie but i also just think i prefer his other stuff a little bit more um this is like it's such a languid movie right like this this movie makes fucking la cienega look like um like bring me the head of alfredo garcia or something you know what i mean where, where it's like it's quiet And it's slow and meticulously paced. And often, especially like you noted, uh, Cody, in the second half, there will be like literal interruptions of the A plot to linger over shots of the city and then we'll return to the same or a different scene. Right. It's it's spectacular in that way. Um, And I, I think that like. It it becomes the sort of like a text, but even before this, like it's it's such an interesting way of of demonstrating just how dislocated everyone feels in this city that that it, it's almost like a supernatural force lingering over them. Right. S- sort of slowing them down and literally depressing them. Um, and I think that like what you're saying now about uh Lungs, sort of like pity, not love, is so fascinating, right, Jason? Because I think the movie, without ever really saying it, it like it really makes a good um, argument that the reason he feels that way is because he feels sort of dislocated from a bunch of different versions of himself, right? Like he has this sort of allegiance he feels toward traditional masculine and traditional Taiwanese values and ideals, um, even though those ideals themselves were never really what they appeared to be in the Halcyon days of his youth, and he knows that, creating a dislocation, right? But he also knows that like the only version of himself that he really um felt connected to, that really felt like who he is as a person, is really entrenched in those values and those ideals. And so it's really hard for him to extricate himself from those without losing all sense of who he is. So he kind of doesn't do that, but he kind of doesn't commit in the other way either, right? Like he's still with Chin. He's still trying to get out of Taiwan, uh, presumably, but he can't bring himself to like, give up on, you know, like, like trying to uplift, um, Chin's useless dad, uh, abusive dad, trying to sort of like visit his friends. And, um, a lot like brighter summer day. What I really like about that is I think that they do a really good job of at once being sympathetic toward where, um, where his uh, feelings are coming from, right? Like, I think this movie does a really good job of illustrating how Lung arrives at this place, but that only makes the indictment of where he got more um, trenchant, right? And and sharper and fiercer. Like, this is like not, again, like Brighter Summer Day, it's not like a both sides movie at all, right? It's like, this guy's a fucking moron. Mm. And like, it's an emergency that we have to deal with this right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, you've opened like this, this this vein that I'm hoping I can slip the idea into, and I want to know what Cody thinks of this because it was your first time watching it. I know Harry had seen it before I watched it when Seth was doing his director watch of Edward Yang. Um, it was one of the more, I only saw this in Terrorizers, so my frame of reference is still building for Yang. But um, there's this thing, like the whole movie, and uh, it, I was struck again um, on rewatch, um, is like showing to me it's it's bringing forth that idea of like the horizontality of change amid like a broader sociocultural like events or evolution i don't want to say evolution is a positive but just like forward motion change this you know the domination of corporations in taiwan um the growing like uh dissociation people feel from their you know selves and their culture and like the, what even in their own lifetimes what their lives used to be like uh the false gains of modernization of like I love that at the end chin has like, she was working for some lady doing some dumbass job. She was happy with that. She was let go of from, um, and then at the end she is back doing the same damn job with the same damn lady. Right. In the same damn city. You know, like I think that there's like a, a lot of the, throughout the movie that's that thread is and throughout the characters, of course it's it that uh, narrative thread, that idea is being sort of threaded. But, um, as much as they build chin and lung as uh op, you know opposing ends of that spectrum like chin is very much let's get to America I, I just lost my job it's an opportunity to move forward to change to grow together to become new to like be focused on the future and in my head just because simple monkey brain i was thinking chin focused on the future lung focused on the past neither of those things are absolutes but just to like put them in buckets in my head and then but of course as as Edward Yang seems to do in his movies didn't let that be like didn't let them be the complete extremes of that spectrum he like put them in a broader context of like their their perspectives being but individuals in context of a larger you know what's going on around them like uh like exactly like you did we've talked about this in um in our episode about a brighter summer day uh where like by the end Lung is, you know, again, spoilers, dead for reasons, seemingly at least tangently unrelated to his actual actions throughout the movie. It was more like what he didn't do, where he wasn't, when he should have been kind of thing. Chin again is in the same damn place, but like they, they are positioned as little, you know, hardened diamonds of their perspectives of their, like what they want in life, the future or the past or some combination of it because of where they have been and because of who they've been around and because of sort of what their life experiences have taught them about like how to get by and what they really want. Um, so it's never like casting. Like you said, Harry never like uh, totally sympathetic and not entirely objective about the experience. But I was curious why I even triggered Cody about this was because I was, I'm curious uh, having recently seen brighter summer day and not having seen uh Taipei story. How do you feel about like Yang's approach to that concept? If you're even reading it in this movie versus brighter summer day.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a, Fascinating discussion point, And I think where I'll enter from is something that stuck with me about Chin. The the scene where she's like she's being let go. And you, I think, ultimately positioned it appropriately in that like she is let go. Her company is acquired, and she's having this conversation. She's doing the thing where I'm sure like Business classes will tell you not to like go into a conversation the way that Jin did where she's like filling in the blanks and being like, I know what you're telling me. You're telling me I've got to choose between <laughs> these two positions. Yeah. I will resign instead of like forcing you to fire me. Um, there, There's I, maybe and I don't know, like tell me if I'm like reading too far into the uh, between the lines, but like I definitely – read that as more of a willingness on her side to like, cause we see her earlier in the movie. There is a shot that spoilers. I will talk about in a certain segment later in the program where she is like, she's moving, she's moving literally horizontally while also being like hot, like towering above the rest of the city. Mm-hmm. And there is something about her Status that she's clearly not all about. She has the willingness to just like to move away from this particular position, even if it's just for that one day. And like, even if she goes back to a similar position or literally the same position tomorrow, the fact that she's making that choice to say like, oh, I will withdraw from this position and just like try movement elsewhere because like movement elsewhere is better than, oh, I don't know, like sitting in a dark room watching baseball games, like moments in the past that have already happened. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are like, we've we've talked about it and we will keep talking about it. Just like the interstitial sort of sequences of those same aforementioned humongous skyscrapers, just like creating this feeling of supreme isolation, both chin and lung, the feeling so... Like, overwhelmingly alone when they're not with each other, or like somebody else. Um, and like to her credit as well, Chin is also in like dark, uh, rooms when in, in various periods of the movie. So I don't know that that stuck with me. And then there's also the element of like her. I think Chin bringing up just like why do not why don't it's like fuck it why don't we just go to the USA which maybe adds like a z axis to this this um diagram of horizontal moving horizontally vertically but then there's like a completely other axis where like we could be moving horizontally and, and vertically outside of this city um because it seems like we're not really getting anywhere and then um for various reasons lung um as it's been said like him maybe tapping into this period of his life when he was more in control of himself and of others him seeing chin's father seeing um a former teammate of his where he can he has no real reason to care or step in, in the ways that he does um, even like doing so much as to forking over their, you know, life savings that would otherwise take them along that Z axis trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess all that is to say, I really like how we learned a lot um, from like those two uh, acting independently. And I, I feel I, it's a completely different sort of movement, getting back to your, I guess, original question, Jason um, compared to like a brighter summer day where the, I don't like, it's tough to see the axes in that same way. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I think the, like, maybe, maybe the, um the, the X and Y and Z axis scales are just like much, much smaller. Yeah, um, yeah. Although I, I will like having the, the prologue of a brighter summer day kind of map out a lot of that for us, where it's just, like, this is the place where we ended up. And that's maybe like there's maybe a Taipei story esque like scenario where we're like talking about whether or not we should be moving, and th- this is just sort of like maybe the natural follow up to that. We're like, well, now we've moved, and now we need to refine our identity. Um, so I don't know. I, I I guess maybe my concluding thought to your question, Jason, is this is a, a, a natural follow up to Taipei story, and I'm a little bummed I didn't watch them in that order, but that's okay. Shout out to John Marat. Um He's a visionary.
0: Um, I really like. First of all, I agree with that, Cody, especially I like the way that you charted out like their accesses. I think that's a really good way to think about this movie because I think that like it's not an accident that um, chin and lung are like co-protagonists, right? Like, and it's really important to to study both of their character arcs in relation to one another. And also very specifically their relationship. Like, I think at its heart this is a movie about a failed relationship, right? It's about two people that just could not make it work and whose fault that is and, and like where that came from and like their relationship to one another is a metaphor for Taiwan's relationship to itself, right? Or sort of like in general the future's relationship to the past, etc. etc cetera what I do like Jason is that I really like that you set up the dichotomy between future and past that they set up between lung and chin I think that the movie is very interested in establishing that dichotomy early on so that it can complicate it right so that it can even i would go as far as to say subvert it like i think that like the beginning of this movie is supposed to show chin as this sort of like very modern woman right like she is moving into an apartment by herself which is unusual for an unmarried woman in taiwan as we're told she has this high powered executive job um she is Seemingly very independent, seemingly very proud. She dresses very modern you know, in a sort of Western style, right? Meanwhile, um Yeah, meanwhile, Lung is like very much the traditionalist and, and kind of like her her dirtbag boyfriend, a little bit, right? Um the movie like goes to great lengths to compromise or to complicate that um by sort of like demonstrating the ways in which our understanding of chin may actually be informed by traditionalist gendered ideas, right? Like mm-hmm. there's this sort of deep resentment, uh, by the men toward chin in this movie, obviously her father, but a little bit, her, um, husband lung or not husband her boyfriend lung as well like there it's just in the way that they are so co- not cold to each other but so workmanlike the way yeah. that he cannot extend any in- intimacy or any sort of like partnership towards her i think that like lung's failures as a partner in this movie are really important but you- we also get to see then because the movie actually starts from her perspective that one, the re- the reason why women are sort of like more, quote unquote, uh, suited for the modern environment uh, in a way that makes people like Lung so resentful is because uh, they never had the privilege, right? Like, Cody, you noted really, really astutely, right, that like when in Lung's sort of version of himself as best uh, – Like, Chin is watching him from a darkened window across town, right? She's not the hero there. She's a kid who's falling in love with the baseball star, right? And it's like, that's not what she wants, especially because in that point in her life, she was being victimized by her father, right? She was standing up for her mom and getting beaten uh, instead of her mom. Uh, by her abusive father. And so like she never had the privilege to see the past in those terms. However, she also like I think it's really important to note that this movie like demonstrates that being a woman is still a very precarious situation in Taiwan, right? She's she's abandoned by her boss who is this sort of like, fuck you, got mine, hyper-capitalist Taiwanese woman. Um, And when she's abandoned, she's immediately fired by this sort of like sexist corporation. And that leaves her without a lot of prospects, right? And so there is this sense in which like Chin is not actually this sort of like hyper-future woman. And I think that one of the big points of the movie is that like viewing her under those auspices actually communicates more about us, right? Or more about who... Uh, Yang was trying to sort of like level this movie's charge at because it Mm -hmm. it turns out that like not only is she quote unquote stuck in the past but like she also still does not have opportunities and still needs sort of like not support necessarily but she needs a different kind of support than she's being provided by the people around her
1: that's that makes me think of like I found it interesting that she's laid off Chin is laid off uh, as part of like a corporation has bought her company and, you know, they're going to take a hit on it. It's a failing company and they just don't understand. Like, it's a concept that hasn't quite reached cultural consciousness. Why you would buy a, like a a failing company, so to speak. Um, but her position is not just, she's laid off from it. Like her position is eliminated. They say you are a personal assistant. We need you to be like, you're not a a secretary and you're not a manager. You would have to be a secretary if you're going to continue with us. And there's like, of course, the whole obsolescence of the role type thing and like a future forward. I think Edward Yang was looking at the like the, the lay of the land, so to speak, culturally and saying, like, are these things important when personal assistants do things like uh, like, you know, literally just assisting, like grabbing things, getting things, printing things, attending to needs when technology is phasing that out generally. Um, But also like the gender politics at play there of we must now relegate either uh, this uh, position that has been typically filled by a woman for a woman. Is now either going to be subservient to that, where you're just running the machines that assist somebody, or you're going to have to step into a role like Ms. May, the uh, her boss in this movie, who for whom she gets laid off, and become management. Like you're going to need to do that. And uh, like Cody was saying, she doesn't really. Uh, cotton to either of those she she wants to well she's not she's it's important to
0: note she's not given the option to go into management right, exactly. they don't yeah. say you can be promoted they say that is true we're going to make you a secretary which is like a huge pay cut and a huge prestige yeah. cut to this person who had been basically doing the job of her boss right, right. and so it's like it sucks
1: it is it, but like it, it i think it's even further telling like to that point like they don't give her letters of mobility professionally or socially they say this is a step down this is at best, lateral, uh, maybe if you spend your I mean, I'm inferring here, but like just having been in the corporate world, maybe if you put your time in, maybe if you like really make an impression, you can be, become something like Ms. May was to you. But um, it is like, I guess, marrying that against what you've been saying, Harry, about like the way that the men in uh, Chin's life are treating her, her father and uh, her coworker, who's growing distance from his from his uh, almost divorced wife and from lung her childhood sweetheart. Uh, and from like, I guess in ways that secret admirer boy who sort of like hangs around and then ends up killing lung, um, that like, is, is, is that all you think that like dismissal of her, that sort of resentment is rooted in that like traditionals. I won't say specifically Taiwanese traditionalism, but just traditionalism ideals of, uh, masculinity and of like, uh, emotional attachment, et cetera. Is that all coming from the rooted in the same place? Do you think?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that what I would say is that, um, I think that the way the men in this movie treat and think about their relationship with Chin, uh, is reflective of how they feel about, um, their own identity and their own sort of like culture and their own relationship to Taipei itself or Taiwan itself, which is that, um, Chin and even her, like the, sad maybe divorced uh schrodinger's divorce um fucking architect that she has this weird relationship with thank you um and uh they all like they need her they can only have a relationship with her on their terms right like they they demand that she be something that sort of Tacitly endorses and reinforces their understanding of themselves, right? And they can't handle it otherwise. She has this strained relationship with Lung because she only sort of provides that right he recognizes in her only something that used to be not something that is right and so he can't love her for who she is for the identity that she has now this business woman this independent woman he only can love this sort of idea of her from a long time ago um and that it, it like their relationship and the fact that they're sticking together is sort of like endemic of that idea, right? Like this idea that neither of them, like you had said at the at the t- stop t- or start can kind of move on. I really like how that is true of all of the men in Shin's life, right? Like it turns out that um the uh, architect only really sees her as like a quote unquote work wife, right? And just sort of like uses her to like vent his frustrations and sort of like present this version of himself that he wants um and does not need have any need for her outside of that meanwhile right like like chin wants to protect her he wants to defend her he wants to like be the provider and so he is so frustrated by the fact that she doesn't really need those things anymore um just because he he can't find another role for himself right because he needs that to be his role he needs to have um all of the agency in the Situation, He can't conceive of a partnership that is more equitable than that, which when you consider like his relationship to traditionalism becomes very clear, right? Like he is unable to sort of like make out a new place for himself in society writ large because he needs to have this sort of like prestigious position, right? This sort of like idea of himself as the hero who can save everyone with his sympathy, right?
1: Yeah, it's making me think, like, the way that you said um, that Lung can only see in Chin what she used to be, like, the her history, rather than, like, what she really wants to be, like, from the very beginning.
0: Or it used to be to uh, him specifically, right?
1: W- right. Well, yeah, I, I guess I'm standing in, like, his experience for the entire experience of the movie. It's, it, right. it like, a fun, not fun, but it's a, a, a trepidatious, very um, uh, fragile consideration of who's the main character in this movie because uh, they each by the end get about the same amount of screen time you see a lot of interiority on both but anyway um, like what he's able to see in her is like what she used to be to him Um, she is like explicitly trying to move forward with her life he is not as like drawn to that from the very first scene, like she is looking at an empty apartment and she's considering where she's going to put the VCR, where she's going to put the hi-fi, where she's going to put the television. And he's just sort of like commenting on the place in general. She's and he's not so really
0: fucking on- weird in that yeah, scene. Like right from the very start, he's like, yeah, I guess, I guess this is fine. Like, are you really yeah. going to live here? He's like such a little like annoying, like sort of like he's, he's so threatened by her, right? By her success and by her independence.
1: Yeah. And it like, it makes me think, Back to how the like all of these character traits that we're defining people against, uh, like again, we I say we, but it was like I, I guess I was just brought up and instituted the idea that like there's that dichotomy of future and past and like moving forward and uh, you know, reminiscing sort of thing. Um, because I think that's a very romantic idea, and I'm imagining that Edward Yang was guided by it as he was creating this movie, as he was like uh, writing and directing, but um, the characters that he uses to like we talk about a a lot about the um, spaces that are used to emphasize that sort of dissociation from like your uh you know your idea of yourself and your path through life but really more than that in this movie and i wonder if this is a break from uh what the rest of his filmography has to say or, or what it does but really in this movie i feel like more than others he has a focus on building characters that emphasize that and embody that dichotomy like um again obviously lung and chin are like our, our core ones but there's also chin's dad we've talked about a lot there's a whole scene where he and were uh, and lung just lay in the street remarking on what the city yes. used to be that place used to be a grocery store that place used to be a piece of shit that place like see that big glass? like he doesn't say these things but basically he's saying look at these all these big glass towers they used to be general stores and grocery stores and dirt you know i
0: love how in that scene he's like yeah i used to rip off your dad for money to go to the brothel and even (laughs) then lung is sort of like haha that's funny and not like bro like please like understand that that your understanding of what the world used to be like was not what it was
1: it's 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 so good and it doesn't stop because like Again, the the coworker who and I think his name is Faye. I'm I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if I caught it as it was going, but uh Chin's coworker at at her old job, who I believe it's implied, has taken a job with the new place.
0: It's Kay, by the way. So K. you were very
1: close. Yeah. Sorry. Damn it, I was so close. Um, he also has like this sort of like what she is to him thing, this attachment to like I don't know if it's ever implied that they had anything before uh he was married, but like he definitely sees her as I want to retreat to her emotionally when I'm having trouble moving things forward with my wife. I'm just, really, am just bending the events of the movie right now to fit this prescriptive framework I've got, but it's all that I've got. So bear with me. And it makes me wonder, I guess I've been musing more than uh, like bringing up a question, but it makes me wonder are then like the only way I can, the only like set of characters I cannot shape into that is the kids. Like uh, the story follows that um, Chin's sister is younger. She's probably in her mid late teens. And she goes off with, I think it's, and correct me if I'm wrong if, if I'm, about the story structure here. She sort of fucks off with these uh, younger kids for a while in this little hovel that they've got near the this top of the tower. This fucking,
0: like, Akira gang that they're hanging out for in. Real, for
1: real. And they, like, celebrate her birthday, and they go out with her. And it's like it, it. she really does enjoy this time with them because it's very, like, future-focused thing. These children are the future kind of thing. Is it trying to say in that respect if, like, the idea of being future-focused and, like, gainful – Uh, and earning momentum in modern society and this idea of too much nostalgia and the backward facing like walking west kind of thing is if those are two like extremes that we're putting at the poles of these things is then like i don't want to intuit what edward yang is saying but just for shorthand i'll say is edward yang then saying like kids i have no idea like that's not my call to make or is he saying like specifically this is a faultless like there's no way that we, as people attached to previous generations, to that traditionalism that got lung where he is, to the sort of like career momentum gain that Chin is beholden to, that we don't get to sort of decide whether or not that's morally, you know, aligned one way or the other. Am I am I completely out on a limb here with a saw, Cody, or is this bringing it all?
2: No, uh, I think. I mean, maybe a saw, but like a little one.
1: Like it, it's it'll got take too years small a teeth. It's going to take me an hour to cut myself. Yeah. Treated, so.
2: Yeah, but your point, I think, does have teeth in that, like, it, it does sort of muddy that, um, it, it muddies that idea a little bit because the, I, th- I feel like us as viewers in the movie itself is sort of critical of the, like, nostalgia leaning motifs that, that we feed into and in seeing Chin sort of, <laughs> and inevitably I'm gonna bring up baseball again, but like the whole thing with, like, you know, like little league and and that whole, that whole nugget of, of backstory that we have for that character. And I guess both of these characters is like, that is a, a time in life where there were like, nothing was written yet. There were, there were infinite possibilities. The one certainty was that for one summer, they were the best little league baseball team in the entire planet. And like nothing else was known. They hadn't become anything else. They, they had not big scare quotes and coming, but like they had not gone on to only like own a fabric store. Right. Like the, like the, the rest of those trajectories, like that was, if that was the peak of their lives, they had not
0: like come back down quite yet. And that's Which also like, like man, yeah. like owning a fabric store in Taipei and having an absolute smoke show of a girlfriend. Like it's not that fucking bad guy. Like <laughs> this was not it hard. sounds all right. It, it really isn't that
2: bad. Um, Maybe like a yellow card on the plate because Year of the Simp was a previous year, uh, so
0: we should really we should really be careful. Um, but, no, but but I this mean, is truly yeah. the story of a man who yeah. did not simp hard enough. So it's sort of he's like an yeah.
1: anti-simp. You used yeah. you used uh, a very specific piece of terminology last time we uh, last time I read about your thoughts on this movie, Harry. What did you call it? The Year of the
0: uh, the bag fumble, I the think year the
1: fumbled bag. <laughs> well, he, it's just like, I
0: simply would have loved my fucking 10 out of 10 smoke show. Brilliant girlfriend. <laughs> like I simply would have been, uh, more chill about that and let her sort of like have her independence, but what world. do I know? Yeah. And maybe, maybe it is,
2: maybe we're meant to see it as okay that the smoke show girlfriend is spending the bulk of the movie also being critical of these things and, she's allowing herself to kind of turn backward in time, like it, indulge in the livelihoods of this other, you know, social circle where like those trajectories are maybe still in the up and up. And like the, those things aren't quite as written yet. She she's indulging in that a little bit as a treat. Um, That's yeah. I don't know. Like it's, and it's, I mean, it's tough to be critical of that because yeah, uh, because this dude sucks <laughs> like a, a lot. So, um, and, and he's, we've already seen him indulge in those things and do it poorly and, um, shittily and any other sort of adverb I can think of, uh, yeah, I don't know bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I, I don't know if I have a direct answer, but those are the things that I'm, that I'm sort of kicking around. I really like this
0: question, uh, Jason, I think that, um, a lot like the dichotomy set up early. I think that early on the movie wants you to think that right. Um, that that sort of Edward Yang is saying, like, the children are the future and they're somehow like above all of this or they're somehow removed from all this. Um, I think that the, the end of this movie and like the second or the last third of this movie is really about deconstructing and subverting that idea as well. Right. Um, because there, there is this idea that, well, I mean, first of all, like one of the kids like kills lung. So, like, they're implicated in this, right? And the reason he kills Lung is because he has this sort of, like, very strange, pivotal, or uh, parallel relationship um, to Chin that Lung has, right? Where, like, um, it turns out that, like, he comes to feel ownership over Chin himself because of the sort of liaison that they had, but maybe more importantly because he doesn't have anything else, right? He is a sort of like burnout of the military who doesn't have a job, who's sort of like living, um, sort of like squatting, I think it's implied, in this mostly empty apartment in Taipei. In this motorcycle gang, a very precarious position without a lot of thought for the future, right? So I think that, like, what Edward Yang is actually saying is that, like, our relationship to our pasts and our presence is not only going to affect us. In fact, it will affect the future development of Taipei and our people, right? There's this sort of sense in which, like, that character's relationship to Chin and to a lesser extent to Lung ends up defining him, right, and ends up making him a murderer. It ends a murderer. It ends up getting Lung murdered, and that that happens because they sort of like almost impose their own understandings of his identity and his relationships to other people onto him right like Hmm. he ends up taking on this idea of chin as this sort of symbolic savior this sort of thing that he could have if only he was different very much like sir in brighter summer day right and that is also lung right lung is like if i was just better if i was just like if i could care for people better if i could like Find if I could make my way, I would be able to support all of these people and I would be able to sort of like reconcile all of these different parts of myself and create this brighter summer day. Right. Like this better tomorrow. Um, he feels he can't do that because he's not strong enough. When in fact, throughout the entire movie, Chin is trying to say, like, you just need a partner. Like you need to accept that like we can do this together, and he's like, actually, like that would mean that I'm not the baseball star anymore, so I'm not going to allow you to be my partner in this because that is not the role that women have, that is not the role that I want to have um is as a sort of supporting player or as a a co protagonist. This is a movie about a guy trying to be the movie's protagonist, right and the great irony, in my opinion, and, and the the big indictment here um, of Lung and, and to a lesser extent of the future, right, is that in trying to sort of like preserve all of these values and bring them forward into the future and into the present, Lung ends up losing the one thing that was worth sort of preserving, right, which like is pointed out to him ironically by his um, erstwhile Japan girlfriend, right, which is that like, bro, like you're – story had like a very clear narrative that from the bird's eye view, we can see, right? It's like you were supposed to love Chin, your childhood sweetheart, the, the like love of your life, and you were supposed to be a partner to her. You failed to do that because you got caught up in everything else you were trying to do, right? And because you got caught up in everything else you were trying to do, you lost what was worth bringing forward with you. And it was taken to you by the people who you should have taught it to. Right. Like, and instead you were murdered by that future.
1: Yeah. It's, it is driving home that idea of like the precarity of, of his situation is like, he, he is to blame for a lot of it, life choices and his, and his obsession with the past, et cetera. Um, But again, like larger context, Yang is saying, no, it's also like, as a result of like these fossilizing big, social cultural changes going on are pushing people toward these sorts of decisions toward and away from these centers of comfort and these ideas of self-improvement um and like it's just underscored near the beginning when and i I apologize i had to use a cough drop so you might hear some clacking um underscored near the beginning that chin loses her job we've been talking about so much about this because of a 10 centimeter miscalculation in her construction company's plans uh and it like totally went them made them go busto. Like now somebody needs to acquire them because they fucked up that badly. And from that point on, and that's in the first ten minutes of the movie proper, um, we have like this constant tension of you know those two dichotomies of these two people, uh and like this idea that just surviving in that environment is not going to be like thriving. It's not going to be moving forward in your what late twenties, early thirties, whatever these characters are supposed to be. If he was part of a little league like a winning little league team in 1969 and it was 1985 when the movie was made so he's probably early 30s at this point i don't know it just like it just keeps getting more and more resonant and more and more simple the more i think about it the more that we talk about this uh is like it 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 really do does come down to um these competing forces are affecting people but their situation is made more and more precarious so their opportunities are limited and they shrink and when one wrong choice is made it's almost impossible to follow like the 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 threads of it back up back you know to the heart once you've already passed through the the veins and arteries it's 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 kind of nuts how this movie does that with such simple tools it looks incredible it moves incredibly it like sounds great maybe i might like this better than i like um brighter summer day just for how it moves, like its pacing, I think, is a little bit more aligned with my speed, but we'll see after yee how I feel about the pacing of Edward Yang movies.
0: Um and and what I really like is that that sort of like disappearing economic status in Taipei coincides with a disappearing cultural status, right? That that you're talking about. This idea that like not only are these these people sort of like the The economy and the culture are inexorably linked, right, inexorably linked, where – You can only have one with the other. And as these people's city is literally being taken from them, right? Like I love that first um, architecture scene where he looks out over the city and he says, like, I can't even recognize the buildings I made and the buildings I didn't make anymore. It doesn't matter if I'm here or not anymore, right? So these are people who are losing ownership of their city. And in the process, they're losing ownership of um, what they can be right to themselves and to each other and within this place and time um and meanwhile people like lung i think the the point of the movie is alleging they're sort of like they're chasing this disappearing ideal where the past and the present can be reconciled without sort of like the need for um like critical differentiation or without the need to like create your own understanding right and carry that forward lung sort of refuses to do that um and in the process he he do, does that right it's very much like the both sidesism right it's like when you choose to hear everything out what you're actually doing is being conservative right and like that's kind of the thing that happens here too right is that like lung can't commit to going to america he can't commit to allowing chin to have her independence he can't commit to marrying chin even though she asks him to right he can't commit to sort of like leaving behind this notion of himself because and i think the movie does a, a really great job of demonstrating that like that's the only version of himself that he understands right and so i think this movie becomes this sort of call for building a new understanding or sort of like a need to um sort of like Really, like, take stock of where you are now and make hard decisions about like taking ownership over your past and your present, right? Um, it feels like without the ability to do that, um, not only I think Edward Yang is is saying, and I again, I can't speak for him, but like, not only will you lose your agency, but you're, you're actually like doing a great disservice to the people around you and the people who will come after you because you are further delimiting their ability to carve out their own paths and, um, assume their own identities because all of these people are linked to one another, right? Like chin can't really be who chin is without lung lung. Can't really be who lung is without chin. And I think, they even say that intergenerationally, right? It's like the last generation is going to be necessarily, or the next generation is going to necessarily be shaped in part by this one, and we have to be really careful about what that means. Otherwise, we'll get stabbed to death by them in the street. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it it is like in my notes about the movie, we um, I I I put like what Chin and Lung want uh from each other. They they like they don't find. But in, I think upon reflection, after what you've been saying, I think it's more like they don't, neither of them is able to look hard, like maybe lung bears more responsibility for this, but they're not looking hard enough to find that, you know, they don't, haven't defined it and haven't like found the pathway to achieving it, to like finding it, to like seeing yeah. it, discovering it and acting on it in the other. um, I don't, like, I That's don't think That's a really interesting
0: point. I, cause like, I kind of put. Maybe maybe just because I'm a guy, right? But I sort of like lay a lot of the blame at Lung's feet, right? Like I I tend to think like, oh, like Lung in the way that he thinks about um, Chin is like the reason why she can't see him, right? Like maybe she would be able to love him if, if he could actually like see her as the person she wants to be seen as. Um, I'm not sure if that's true though, right? Yeah. Like, like maybe one of Chin's own problems is that she can't give up Lung right like which is the irony right because like he thinks that she's so advanced and mature and modern and it's like well if she actually was like maybe she would be able to like give this relationship up right
1: well yeah i mean that i also like the idea like consider that what she's looking for is like for momentum she's looking for a life she's looking for like something sustainable and supportive and like i guess again to go back to my little dichotomy something more modern and she doesn't get it from lung and she like does try she's got you know her She's made overtures and she's brought him out to do things and she's like tried to make something, something of a semblance of a life with him. She's included him in her, in her apartment hunt and stuff. She doesn't get it. uh, And she ends up hanging out with a bunch of hoodlums who like have nothing but futures ahead. Like they have no pasts to be chained by. And lung himself has like, he is looking for, uh, you know, the glory of olden times, both with lung and excuse me, with chin and like of his own former glory. Uh, he doesn't uh find it, so he like turns to his old pals, his old uh, baseball pal with you know the gambling wife. He turns to his old paramours who are in town from Tokyo. He turns to uh his dad's friend Chin's dad, who uh you know has like his own attachments to like his own tie downs that he should just be ready to abandon, but he's not. Like Chin is very much ready ready to abandon that man. Lung is not because of like the perceived familial ties. I I just think it's interesting how they're both looking for uh, complimentary things in each other and just pieces of their personalities and lives come between. And I'm just sort of reading back of the box themes at this point, but, uh, it it, like our conversation has underscored how I think straightforward it can be about those things. Maybe I don't want to say frustratingly straightforward, but it feels like I'm, I'm seeing them too quickly to even be, um, like properly acknowledging them because of how, like, obtuse a brighter summer day could sometimes be and how long it took to get to its message it feels like this is more like a straight shot to the heart of those ideas and themes to me
0: just say you didn't like brighter summers day man i I, i won't
1: say i won't say that i had to break it up and i did have a good time with it but boy it was it was a lot
0: um, I love that the the ending of this movie is essentially the same as brighter summer day uh, in that somebody gets stabbed, like in the, the, in the scene street. before the last scene. <laughs> um, and I also think that like, it's probably similar in the sense that like Yang probably kind of worked backwards, right? This, again, this feels hmm. like a forensic movie in a lot of senses where it's like, Hey, like how do I get from here to there? Right? Like, like this guy, how do I use this sort of like final inciting moment of crime to represent this larger idea about what is happening in Taipei and what I think is going to happen if it doesn't change. Um, And like, I, I love that. And also like, I think it's like really important that like, it's so masculine, right? Like, like this, this kid who ends up fighting lung is doing exactly what lung would have done at his age, right? Like they're fighting, they're fighting each other to do justice to themselves. They've made each other symbols Mm -hmm. of, what they can combat and what they can destroy to feel a certain way about themselves and Lung, even to his final breath, like doesn't get it right. Like he, he dies thinking about the championship when he, when he was a star instead of thinking about chin or something. does right? he see
1: the game being played on one of the old rotten out TVs next to him or is it just in his mind's eye that we're I seeing think that
0: it, we never see it on the screen? I think okay. we see it like zoom into the screen. I mean, it is still important, right? Mm-hmm. That like what he is thinking about is not just winning, but he's thinking about a newscast. So he's yeah. being about being perceived as something. Uh, that's what's important to him about that. That's a like, good point.
1: You know, situation. I, I this is 10 years ago now, but in college, little piddly writing contest I won for writing about Portal. And now I think I don't remember as vividly standing on that stage receiving an award as I do remember the photos of me accepting that award. <laughs> well that's interesting. Yeah, I mean a, that
0: there's something to that. There's right? something
1: to that Harry. Maybe, I mean every yeah. time you
0: remember a memory, you're actually creating a new memory, right? This so is,
1: All right. We we need to go back to Satoshi Cohen another time. But right now uh, this has been such a scintillating conversation. I said right now, right at the one hour mark, holy shit. Um, let's really quickly just to pander, uh, to our, Aaron Grossman frothing maths, masses, math masses. um, the Aaron Grossman Wong car Y filmed apartment quality index was a rating scale based on the quality of an apartment subjective entirely, uh, that Aaron deployed during our Wong car Y series. Go back and check that out and i wanted to see if we can just in you know in the encapsulated uh, little apartments and changing world of this movie if we wanted to have any of that like can we get a rating i guess cody if you had to assign an arbitrary number from 0 to 10 on the quality of well let's just say chin's apartment the one where she hosts her sister the one where she's doing aerobic exercises and shit uh what 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 would you give that that puppy what we know of it
2: oh that's My knee-jerk reaction is not particularly favorable of that apartment, just because it comes with a lot of baggage, a lot of bad memories, and memories of memories, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, My first instinct was like a five. I don't know if that's—I don't know how does that how does that hit y'all? I saw some—I saw some reactions. Uh, What do y'all think?
1: I I won't make this definitive, but my opinion is that it it probably is in reality a five, but the contents of it, again, chinsai. I mean, can you, can you say that like the potted plant doesn't brighten the room if it doesn't like, Mm. you know, like Uh, it's, it's it's, it's a pretty beautiful apartment. It's, it's a, it's a 15 out of 10 by my scale. Wow. Wow. Okay. But the actual apartment itself.
0: I was going to give it a 7.5 just because uh, and this will be a controversial decision, I guess. But like, I really love the fucking like weird squatting apartment that that the kids live in. Um, Oh, God, it's gorgeous up there. Huh? Like I could I wouldn't even need electricity if I lived in a place like that. I would just be enough to like read by the light of the fucking Fuji uh, sign that they've got up there. Um, Those scenes are fucking spectacular. Oh, my God. That would be an eight. There's no furniture in there, which is a problem
1: is um hey, but am i am i i might have to stream this again Do, is duran duran written on the wall or is it just like the phrase because there's some english like, something yeah, yeah okay
0: but it does it's not duran duran it's <laughs> duran and then something else also uh it it must be noted um th- this has a very like emotional and sad scene set to fucking um foot <laughs> It's in like it's amazing. Edward <laughs> Yang fan. the god could pl- only pull that off, right? Uh it was who else? it was around that point uh it was
2: literally I wrote the note footloose, just the word footloose exclamation point and then uh after that I was like, "Oh wow, Rebels of the Neon God." Um Ooh. I'm just now starting to like they're they're two vastly different movies in a number of ways, but there are some seedlings of of ideas that I feel like, um, yeah. I don't know. We, we already did an episode on that. We don't need to rehash all that. but uh, I just kind of yeah. thinking about it right
1: then. And was there, that so timing that uh, si young Yes. Yep. Go back and listen to that episode. That was a really good episode. God, one of those early pandemic episodes for us. Check that puppy out. Um, that was one of God. Is it four segments now? We have to get to. I uh, I'm gonna open the junk drawer real quick for you folks to drop in any more thoughts. Uh, for example, this is the low hanging fruit type stuff. This girl owns way too many fucking pairs of glasses. But my gosh, no, she rocks dude, them she all. No, dude, she looks so fucking... She, nobody's she ever looked that good in business, sunglasses. Chill, <laughs> business chill. casual. Business casual steezed out every fucking day. But yeah, like, it. there's this way too long a hold uh, on, on her, like, armoire. Uh, and there's, like, 30 pairs of sunglasses on that thing. I was stunned. Uh,
0: uh, Shout-outs to House Osen, uh, who plays Lung in this. He's also just, like, a very famous... Uh, like Taiwanese cinema director. He did millennium Mambo, which we're going to maybe probably cover later uh, this year. And um, a bunch of other stuff, uh, flowers of Shanghai cafe Lumiere three times, which is really good. Um, the assassin most, uh, most recently, which I haven't seen, but which looks sick. Um, and he's also just, he literally just plays lung here. I don't even know if he's an actor in very many other things, but he's clearly kind of- um, uh, let's see.
1: His brow is always kind of furrowed, just a little he, bit. Yeah, creased, he's really good at like this. Like, like he knows he's always doing something wrong, and he's doing it anyway. Yeah, and
0: also like he's not—he's not, he's not uh, like actor attractive, which is pretty no. important to like the lung character i feel can we you know get what aaron, i mean
1: aaron grossman uh filmed uh the man quality index on <laughs>
0: oh yeah well i mean i almost made this a joke in my review like this is really the story of what happens when a four g- gets with a 10 right it's like <laughs> he's just like constantly like trying his best to sort of like live up to like this outkicked coverage that he has to sort of like <laughs> <laughs> Make happen.
1: Oh, I love it, uh, Cody. Any junk drawer thoughts before we pop over to uh, our penultimate bit?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, baseball spoilers. This is not <gasps> the last time it's going to come up this episode. Uh, and I would I would be a little shocked if I hadn't brought this up in passing on an episode before, just because I I like it quite a bit. Um, with regards to like little league and how something like baseball can cultivate such. Uh, Such a particular period of like a young person's life where they can afford to like be obsessive about something and be like the best at something and the pursuit of that obsession within such a tight, concisely defined window. Um, The 2019 documentary, Koshien, Japan's Field of Dreams. Uh, I've watched it a couple of times. It's, it looks like it's now available in the usual, like rented places. Uh, the availability was lacking at various points in the past, um, but it looks like it's, it's out there now. It's like 95 minutes. I could have watched 950 minutes of it. Uh, I like it quite a bit. Baseball.
1: Nice. Baseball. Indeed. Uh, thank you. Resident co- sports correspondent. I will leave my, uh my camera on every time you mention sports. Cause I just want you to see all my baffled reactions. He's talking about stitches on a ball. I don't understand. Are they supposed to be round? Uh, we have. We, I think we, there's
2: like 108 stitches on every baseball. I think oh, 108 I think is, is right
1: in the official 108 108 d- MLB. Yeah. yeah. Damn, yeah. and next I time Cody think... sees me, he's going to give me 109 on my Ooh-hoo. ass because he's going to kick me. We're talking about sports. Um, we have one. Uh, oh sorry, Harry. Was, was that a oh, I was just def-
0: gonna say, weirdly, shout out to E Drink Man Woman. I don't know if it's Ooh. just because I watch them at similar points or if because they're both Taiwanese movies and I'm basic, but this movie has always kind of reminded me of that movie. I think it might honestly be as stupid and simple is that Chin kind of looks like Zhu Zha Jen from that movie to me. Mm. They have similar personalities yeah. in some ways and that yeah, they're like right. very independent young business women. Um but anyway i love that movie a lot also it's so like maybe poetry, it rhymes yeah check that shit out i guess that is a really good movie
1: to... i bought the uh blu-ray for way too much money because i was just taken with that movie the first time i saw it last year good god what a movie it's so um, good <laughs> i i will go back and i will watch um the, the his hulk um just to better get a feeling again of his fellas watch <laughs> fellas watch hulk uh the uh Yeah, we should. We should actually do that. Uh, But for right now, we have one uh, penultimate segment to get to. I I want you guys to tell me what we should do for uh, the gifts that go out with this episode on Twitter. Um, Yes, that is right. It is time to give me a grief, uh, a geef, uh, give me a good grief, man. Uh, This uh, segment is where we can can go off about any shots in the movie. Timestamps help, but uh, not required. I have a few of my own, but I want to toss it to Cody first for his thoughts. Cause I know he always takes his little Cody's noties about when these uh, shots appeared and, and how we can use them.
2: They're regular sized Cody's noties. Okay. Thank you very much, Jason. Um, I've got to, I'll keep them brief because uh, we've already ta- we've already called them out, but uh, around seven minutes, 10 seconds. It's that, um that shot of, Oh God. Um, Chin is walking with her like coworker. Uh, it's that, like vertical and horizontal movement. And I realized upon watching that shot, it's kind of like, it it fits snugly alongside the, um, like the, the, the film study idea of just like, if you see something and it's very obviously phallic, it's probably intentionally meant to like represent that sort of thing. We're getting to the point now where just like, I see, Architecture and it's like intentionally like, Hey, look at the size of this building and like, look, they're moving. They're so small within that space. I'm Edward Yang, la, la, la. It's like, okay, <laughs> that's a, there's something. There's something being done here and I better tune in. Um, but I'm, I'm growing to be a, uh, growing t- like a tall building to be a big sucker for that. Um, so that one and then, uh, 1940 thereabouts, that walking Pepsi Cola can. This is, this movie is not as like, um, a, I think aggressively obviously egregiously about corporatism as like a walking Pepsi cola can might uh, otherwise suggest. Um, but the fact that <laughs> it is it a gets Pepsi there. Yeah, it, it, it gets there. Uh, and the fact that it is a Pepsi cola can and it is like slowly walking forward. It's uh, an image that we're not meant to take super seriously um, until it, it walks on us. Right. And we're bleeding until, in the it, until
0: it collides with the traditional Taiwanese books that are also on that desk and tips over it makes it makes you think um, and I'll leave. Oh, God. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Those are my two. Uh, Also, uh, pursuant to the corporatism thing, one of the funniest sort of like – uh, like understated jokes, is in the last scene when um the Miss May immediate like returns and all of a sudden wants Chin to work for her again. It's like oh, where like where have right. I seen this before? But she's like, uh, yeah, you don't even have to like leave Taiwan anymore. We can have a big American corporation right in our own city. And like, <laughs> Why as, go she's, as she's saying that, the the camera is just stuck on Chin looking at her face in the reflection of the window, just completely stony. Just just like oh, Jesus, Jack, like Jack here Nicholson we go again. in the shining doing the Kubrick <laughs> yeah, it's stare. Like Just, you can oh almost God. hear like, hello, darkness, my old <laughs> Um, And so that's really funny. Um, I only have one. Uh, there are a lot of really good ones, but like, I think it's got to be that long shot of the kid putting um, Chin's jacket on her when they're outside on top of the building and the their um, silhouettes are outlined by the Fuji um like uh sign, the neon sign that that like scene makes me cry, man. It's so fucking beautiful. I like break down looking at it, yeah. right? It's like and I, I shot like that in a seat, like in a movie that is like, I think I was telling Kelly this before we went to see it. It's like, even if this, there wasn't a story, I would watch the full length of this movie just to sort of see what Taipei looked like in 1986 and Mm -hmm. like boy does it deliver on that score too it really does that's my favorite moment of that i think
1: and just before that shot it's presaged by like the same set just like from a different angle to where you're seeing like the broad outline yes broad red outline of chin's face and of the boy's face and then it like turns around and it's full and neon bloom what a fucking shot blade runner your heart out um mine uh i i did take a bunch of timestamps this time around. It's kind of an annoying habit that I wish I could break at some point, but not until there's not while there's content to produce, man. Um, it's, uh, I'm going to choose because you guys actually did pull a few that I, that I already had in, in mind. Um, there's one shot where, and I'm forgetting the exact story beats it comes between, uh, but it is where lung enters, uh, uh, chin's apartment and she has hanging on her wall, a poster of like a detail shot of two dancers. You see just the man's hands all like veiny and hairy supporting, Ooh, this is like, a great supporting the torso of a dancer like in a leotard type thing and you can't see faces you can't like see anything it's just literally like maybe a, a foot square detail blown up to a large poster and before any ele- other elements of the scene are set you just get this poster as, as like a, a hard cut from the previous scene and then Lung's hand just slowly like like placed up against the man's hand, clearly like outsized. It's like Lung, three or four times the size yeah, of a human hand.
0: hand. who sadly, it's it's far too small to support the woman <laughs> that this hand is supporting. It it's, makes you think. uh
1: It. I mean, like, yeah, small monkey brain shit. But it did make me think. And then no, he dude like, it fucking and, rocks. And, and, it's and so then, good. And then he sort of like fades. The rest of him fades into this into the shot, and he like drops his hand and kind of looks disappointed. And the scene goes on. It is like probably probably three or four seconds longer than I would, than I would have needed to like consider it. And it's like, Oh, okay. Thank you, Mr. Yang. You have once again done it to me. I do appreciate this. I, I really like that shot. That's, I gotta, that's what I got to hand it to you. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to dance away from that one uh, and pop us into uh, the lead up to our next segment.
0: Yes. The last segment of the show, the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Noties.
2: Wow. Thank you, gentlemen. That introduction was quite the gamble. Uh, and it paid off. Unlike how they paid off in the movie. Woof. I'm going to dance away from that one. This week's film uh, is Taipei Story. This week's end of episode segment is Frank White Story. Let me explain. During a particular scene in the film, a taped baseball game is played in the background on TV as Chin and Lung have a conversation uh, using a few pieces of overheard uh, commentary, namely that the game occurred in 1984 and that one of the players, Frank White, hit his 21st double of the season in that game, I was able to determine with The help of one website called Baseball Reference that this game took place on Tuesday, September 25th, 1984, between Frank White's Kansas City Royals and the
1: California Angels. (laughs) This is yeah, investigative. This is like that and one
0: fucking guy who like figured out what the very good day was in that ice cube song. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just the prologue. Uh, buckle the fuck up,
2: you Kansas City Royals. You, nah, you fellas are California Angels. Um, maybe I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll decide that through this bit. Maybe, maybe I will present some prompts relating to this particular event in history, this baseball game um, that I think, oh, God, I should have noted the score. I think the Royals won the game six to five. That doesn't play into any of these questions. Um, so shout out to Frank White. Uh, but after reading each prompt, I will ask you all uh, an alphabetical by first name order. Uh, so Harry and then Jason, I'll just spell it out because we've only got two
0: participants this week. Also, I appreciate that because I was doing the alphabet in my little head. You got
2: a regular size head. Come on, uh, you'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer. Ooh, and the person with the most points at the end will win. As always, trivia mafia rules apply here. So use your noodles, not your googles, with that. Let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, first, we're going to call out the hero of this particular story. That's Frank White. He played second base during this uh, during this particular game. Uh, and it should be noted because I shot out some other players through this uh, segment and I, I should have done it for Frank white as well. Like won multiple golden gloves, uh, which is like a defensive, defensively based, uh, award in baseball. He won multiple golden gloves, number of all-star games. Uh, Frank white, you know, pretty well accomplished as far as base- baseball players go. He was not, uh, he was not a, a, a lung. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, f- flash in the pan scenario. Uh, but he played second base during, uh, this particular game, and he actually hit two doubles—his twenty-first and his twenty-second doubles of the
0: season, the nineteen eighty-four season. How tall is Frank White, Harry? Oh man, uh, I'm going to go with six one. No, I'm not. I'm going to go with five uh, eleven. Harry is going with five eleven,
2: and Jason, what about you? What do you think?
1: Um, we had to think about Babe Ruth some time ago, didn't we? I thought he was like taller than I thought. I keep thinking baseball players might, might need to be short because they need to be like speedy and sturdy. I don't really know understand baseball that well. I'm gonna I say wish was, listeners
2: like, could see the little like running uh, action Jason did with his fingers running across the webcam. <laughs> Those tight. Uh, I'm going to say he was five nine. Jason is going with five nine. Uh, going off uh, a few sources, it was just one source. It was Baseball Reference. Uh, going off Baseball Reference, Frank White uh, is, or at least. Was when he was playing. Reportedly, five foot eleven inches. Uh, Both of you had the right idea. Um, Second, you know what he should have been doing. uh, Playing baseball, specifically (laughs) second second base. base, Yeah, (laughs) Uh, exactly correct. If you were pitching, I would say like you know what, maybe uh, add you know six to ten inches. That might uh, that might be beneficial. If you want him to be Randy Johnson,
0: (laughs) which was the sort of comparison that I went with in my head, I was like tallest baseball player. Not as tall as the big unit. That's how I arrived at 5'11". <laughs> it is It is really
2: not fair. Just be a man like tall people in like the sports that I'm thinking, like basketball, the, the benefits are obvious. Like tennis, like you're taller in tennis. Uh, You get better angles on your serves, your net play, like your, your reach is better. You know, like there are a lot of obvious benefits there. Pitching, like the same idea, like better, like your different arm slots, you're, you're throwing more down at the plate. Like there are a lot of uh whatever sports science hashtag um but five eleven second base seems seems about right um so Frank white, you were perfectly sized uh, we've decided um five nine would have also been five nine would have also been pretty cool, but five eleven was the right answer dead on Harry gets a point for that one, and we will move on to question number two uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about the baseball hall of fame. this is an honor. That is bestowed upon individuals who have had a particularly significant and positive impact on the game of baseball, uh, whether they be umpires, managers, executives, uh, but most importantly, and most applicably, baseball players, Uh, somewhere between one and 1.5% of every uh, person who has ever played in a major league baseball game gets, uh, you know, gets that honor, receive that honor of being elected to the baseball hall of fame someday. Um, all of this is just fun context because, uh, I geek out about the hall of fame and numbers and, and, uh, baseball and the fleetingness and romanticism of sports. Uh, my question for you, how many eventual baseball hall of fame inductees played in this particular baseball game? The one played on September 25th, 1984 between the Royals and the angels, 1 to 1.5% of all baseball players who have ever played the game elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. How many eventual Baseball Hall of Fame inductees played in this game? Harry. I'm going to go with two. Harry is going with two. And Jason is going with
1: what? Pfft, you got to know this is a total shot in the dark. dark. I'm going to go four.
2: Jason is going with four. Uh, the correct answer, a total of three hall of famers played in this game um that's a lot before i get it before i get into the yeah like the particulars of this answer um you both get a point for that because you were equidistant so everybody's on the board
0: is that Um, statistically significant cody is that an unusual amount of players to eventually appear in the hall of fame
2: i i did not crunch the numbers i did not run run the models um i feel like this i feel like yes this is seems like it would be Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Three of the, of like, oh God, how many, how many players is it? Like 270 somewhere. Like three of the two, we'll just say 270. Like it'll be impressive either way, but like three of the 270 baseball players who have ever been elected as players playing in a specific game. It's not the most that have ever happened in history. Some of the Yankees teams of past, you know, have like their entire fucking rosters uh, are now in the Hall of Fame. But three, like for, for 1980s game, pretty, pretty, uh, standout event. Uh, third baseman George Brett. Uh, played for the the Royals. He was in this game. And then the Angels had former Twins legend Rod Carew uh, playing first base and Reggie yeah. Jackson yeah, serving as designated hitter. So, yes, yeah, so, some fun familiar names that we are going to spend some more time with. Uh, as we get into number three, before I do, I'll just note Harry's got two points. Jason is on the board with one. Still very much anybody's home run still anybody's game a home run can happen at any time folks that's what makes baseball so much fun to watch go watch a baseball game shout us to baseball games for number three let's spend a little more time with uh with reggie jackson i will round table uh the, these legends here we'll go with reggie first 19 uh, again a lot of context because baseball is just so much fun uh and we, we got to learn a little bit about reggie jackson 1984 is the year of his age 38 season so this is towards the end of his career. Up to the, you know, by this point in time, he was very well established as one of the greatest home run hitters to ever play the game. Uh, by this point, he was a 14 time all star. He had won an MVP award over a decade ago prior to this game. Uh, and he had won five World Series rings between two different teams. And two of those championship runs, he won the World Series MVP award as well, which is like highly coveted landmark and like the mythos of a person's career uh, dude was and is a living legend uh, can we say his name again uh reggie jackson reggie
1: man. jackson thank you
2: yeah uh, of course reggie jackson shout outs uh, my question for you two gentlemen this 1984 season of reggie jackson's what was his salary what was his contracted salary for the 1984 season again up to this point it had one of the best careers in all of baseball uh you know again up to this point 14 all-star games five world series rings multiple um mvp awards of the playoff and regular season variety what was reggie jackson's baseline salary in 1984 age 38 season harry god this is going to be so embarrassing i'm really gonna not get this right full disclosure i'm not expecting the world for this one i i needed a different angle and we weren't talking about movies but i wanted to throw in money um
0: is it annual annual salary or how yeah yeah so
2: okay for for yeah, for the yeah, for the whole season,
0: yeah, just like uh, can I do like seven hundred thousand you can, you can do that,
2: seven hundred thousand, all right, locking that in, and Jason, what do you think?
1: I was gonna go six fifty, but um, I'm gonna say ten years past your prime, still getting things, I mean, not past your prime, but you know what I mean, um gonna say a, a million two, a million two.
2: A million two, and I'm gonna do some math here just uh, to see to you see. Need to who's pull closest. out a calculator
1: to see how how much um how much further off I am from the real answer.
2: Yeah, the well, I don't know about that. You, you two are doing this fun thing where you're you're both uh yeah. Well, last question, literally equidistant between um the uh from the answer. i uh, trying true. to vamp as I'm running the, the calculator app. In the background, really showing my ass here. I major. One of my majors in college was statistics. It was not, however, I passed up the class of taking basic arithmetic, <laughs> um, which is a, a bummer for everybody, especially me. Um, it's kind of wild that you could get a statistics degree without uh, taking the course basic arithmetic. <laughs> no, but funnily enough, they make you take like eight semesters of calc, which. Um, Really Otherwise
0: known as non-basic arithmetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for
2: the 1984 season, um, I've amped long enough, it turns out. Thank you, calculator app. Uh, for the 1984 season, Reggie Jackson reportedly had a contracted salary of $975,000, which Jason was closer to by uh, 50 grand. Ooh. So um really cutting it close. Uh, <laughs> you
0: wanted to give us that one one more
2: time, Jason? <laughs> it was like a perfect hybrid of some bitch and oh it really was <laughs> i am I'm very impressed with that <laughs> really really good um so this 9 975000 uh it, it apparently also came with bonuses if the team's attendance reached certain thresholds um there are various um like clarifiers and, and contract like opportunities for bonuses do not have information uh, for what those would have amounted to or if they even reached those thresholds. Uh, but for his career, again, more information because numbers uh, if, and numbers are fun, et cetera. Reggie Jackson had a total cumulative, cumulative base salary just north of $9 million for his entire career. Uh, and inflation is just like a hell of a fucking thing. Uh, for comparison's sake, Minnesota Twins outfielder Byron Buxton, who's not a slouch by any means. I'm like one of the better players in all of baseball. He had a salary almost identical to that, like roughly nine million. Like for just last season. season. Yeah.
0: Yeah, For just last season.
2: And because he is regrettably like injury prone, he got that over the course of like, for like 92 or 97 games played or something like that. So really just- Um, I don't know, a wild thing and stuff that's completely over my head, but um, important to contextualize things like this. Also
0: important to contextualize that uh, players are still working class and the amount of money they make is absolute peanuts compared to the people who own their contracts and the stadiums and teams that they play for. Uh, Those people are among the most evil people on the planet. Um, And so don't blame players for the money they make. uh, Just kill the people who employ them. Correct. Yay, verily. Fully endorse
2: that. Um, but hey, speaking of franchises, uh, speaking of the Twins, for question four, let's hang out with Rod Carew, who spent a majority of his career with the Twins and found himself with the Angels for the final seven years of his 19-year career, including in 1984 when this game took place. Uh, let's also, it needs to be said, let's also, fellas, do our part to squash the rumor that Carew had converted to Judaism um, I can explain. So, this is all alleged and based on information the internet presented to me yesterday and would probably still present me today if I looked it up. But evidently, Rod Crew did and does identify as Episcopalian, even though his first wife was Jewish, and during their time together, he apparently practice certain rituals in accordance with the Jewish faith. This is, um, you are giving me, uh, giving me guff in the chat about winding up with, with the hike question. I'm actually winding up for this one. Um, oh boy. baseball stuff. Uh, but I promise it'll, it'll be, it's going to be a question maybe.
0: about Judaism. <laughs>
2: Finally, uh, it's not, How it's not, not, um so it, it practiced certain rituals in accordance with the jewish faith. as such certain groups uh, certain parties uh mistakenly concluded that rod crew had begun identifying as a jewish one such confused party was adam sandler who included crew's name in an original like the original rendition of the hanukkah song and i wrote out the lyrics for myself even though i know them by heart um but the one relevant passage he goes oj simpson Not a Jew. He, like, waits a beat. Not a Jew. But guess who is? Hall of Famer Rod Carew. He converted. He says he converted, like, offbeat to, like, throw that in. Um, And it's funny. Though incorrect, Carew eventually contacted Sandler, explained the confusion. They had a good laugh. Carew still, like, found the whole project the song to be like very funny and saying they removed karu from subsequent renditions of the song going
0: and forward. the point being that karu would be um a git for the jewish community whereas it's very fortunate that oj simpson is not uh practicing jewish person right the various and
2: yeah the the song the song has many uh, other similar um grandiose allegories throughout of the lyrics look them up on wikipedia sometime uh but Speaking of the lyrics, uh, I will pick out a a couple specific passages because I'm going to list the names of three other famous people, and your job will be to pick out the one person of these three who Sandler did not mention in the Hanukkah song, because the Hanukkah song is about, uh, you know what, I'm not going to get into it. The Hanukkah song lists a lot of people who are Jewish or references people, um, famous people. Uh, It's a a fun song called the Hanukkah song, and you're going to need to pick out the one person of these three who is not mentioned by name in that song. I'm going to read them off one at a time. We've got, uh, what I'll say, A, Tom Cruise, B, Goldie On, C, Kurt Russell. So
0: which one of those is not mentioned by name in the Hanukkah song, Harry? uh it would be weird if tom cruise was mentioned maybe it's like a joke like
1: oj simpson but i mean um, consider consider what cruise also rhymes with in a song about hanukkah so
0: oh no wow you're just throwing me a bone there I'm, aren't you
1: i'm i'm, I'm trying because i have no better guesses
0: uh i'm gonna go with kurt russell i guess in that case thanks i guess jason
1: <laughs> oh um,
0: yeah uh sorry i got that down and now jason over to
2: you
1: for your guess see My own rationale works against me in in both ways, because I cannot imagine Goldie Hawn or Kurt Russell being mentioned without the other one being mentioned. So it feels like a cyanide pill of an answer to say one of them isn't mentioned.
0: If you go with Tom Cruise now and you're right, I'm going to be so fucking mad.
1: (laughs) I'm going to say Tom Cruise. (laughs) You son of a bitch.
0: (laughs) Uh...
2: Love hearing the, the mental calculus of these things play out. Calculus, math, numbers, also fun. Ten uh, semesters. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise is mentioned uh, in the song, not because he's Jewish, but because his agent is slash was reportedly Jewish. Hmm. Uh, Goldie Hawn is also referenced, but C. Kurt Russell is not mentioned by name. <sighs> um, but again, I, I mean, hey, it's a flip of a coin. Uh, twist of the uh, flip of the bat crack of the lumber baseball uh, baseball they, oh, oh baby uh so current score uh harry's got three jason's got two as we head into our uh, our, our final inning uh one might say uh, he wore he wore number five for most of his career so it's only fitting that we make question number five about him that's George Brett, the other Hall of Famer from this game we haven't yet talked about. Uh, and this is a relatively more straightforward question compared to the other ones uh, where I'm talking a lot. But George Brett ended his 21-year career with uh, a base hit total of 3,154. 3,154 base hits for his career. He got one of those hits in this game on September 25th, 1984. Shout uh, out, hell that, yeah. Ain't that fun? Yeah, shout out to base hits. Uh, as of right now, right this second, my question for you, where does George Brett rank on the all-time list of career hits in Major League Baseball? Of all the people who have ever played baseball, uh all of the greats, all of the scrubs, any uh, all of them who have ever donned a Major League Baseball uniform uh and logged even an inning in a game, where does George Brett rank amongst the masses Major League Baseball career base hits? Uh as my voice cracks very fortunately, the closest guess here will get 3 points, the other guess we'll get one point. So you get a slight bump, obviously. Uh, and uh, that's very important because we only got five questions. So Harry, what's your guess here? Where, where does George Brett rank on that all time? Could I
0: career hits have the yetters? number of hits again? Uh,
2: that is um, PP pee, pee, poo poo. That's all you know, uh, 3,154.
0: Okay. Thanks. Um, yeah. I'm going to embarrass myself here. I want to say like, oh man, does I think that probably cracks the top, 200. I'm going to go with like 150. 150. All right. Locking you in and Jason.
1: 0 metric here. Um I'm going to go uh you said 150? I'm going to go 110. I th- I think the name sounds pretty cool. Fair enough. Uh
2: and I'll say uh, in advance thank you for for hearing the the Frank white story I didn't think about that sentiment in advance and also thank you for indulging baseball uh this is i, I went into this knowing that i would i don't know thought more about these sorts of things than y'all I, there's nobody if anybody if anybody comes into the, the trial of forums and says one thing or another about your choose performance in this game. Um, I, I'm, they're gonna have to answer it to my baseball bat. But George Brett ranks 18th on the all-time list of base hits Jesus in a career. Christ, I'm so stupid. Um, I mean, it's again like without any basis of knowing like. It's like, even, I mean, even so, if somebody's in the top 150 for hits in a, that's still, that's still pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, but it, there is the sort of famous plateau. Um, famous is sort of like in scare quotes, but like if you follow baseball a certain extent, you uh, for, you know, to a certain extent, you know that, oh, like 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, 300 wins as a pitcher. Like, there are like these weird ending sort of be- benchmarks, sort of numbers that are um, meant for sort of a, a, or meant for an exclusive club of like, longevity and performance and things like that. George Brett ranks 18th with his uh, hit total for uh, additional context that nobody really cares for uh, at minute 35 in the recording, but Rod Carew had 3053 hits in his career, which puts him at 28th all time. Um, So damn, those are two
0: extremely good ballplayers. That's right. Uh, Legends
2: all around Uh, legends here uh, on Mike as well. Uh, You two gentlemen, thank you for your performance. Um, Jason came away with five points. He got three in that final question. Harry came away with four, a tight race to the end. Um, flip the flip of the coin um, swing of the bat and crack my ass or whatever bill Paxton says. in yeah. tomorrow. Um this is Jason's pop-off time. So have at it.
1: Um, I, I can't in earnest pop off. This was all guesswork. Uh, it was a 50, 50 oh, chance. <laughs> I, I, I know Harry knows much more about baseball than I do already, but I got to say it was, it was dumb luck. It was the dumbest of luck. Um, but I do appreciate the chance to, you know, have, have luck and be dumb on, on the show. Um, Thank you. Come, come again for, uh, yeah, bring, bring me more uh, fodder for, for dumb luck. And I'll, I'll keep, uh, I'll keep hitting homers with it. How's that? I should get a, you know what? I could add a sound effect right now. I wonder if I have a cracking bat sound effect. I don't. Uh, But what I do have is a sincere benediction to you all. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Try Love. Um, go ahead and check out Trilon.org, get tickets to the remaining movies in the Edward Yang giant of Taiwanese cinema series. That's, uh, Yi Yi and, um, that day on the beach. You can find those at Trilon.org. You can find updates about those showings at Trilon cinema on Twitter and Instagram. You can find our podcast. It's called Trilove at Trilove podcast on Twitter. And you can find me. I'm Jason. I'm called Jason on Twitter at nintendufus. He is
2: called Jason. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Joe Maurer, homegrown baseball legend in his own right. Uh, he'll be on the baseball hall of fame ballot. I want to say next year. Um, so we, like the balloting process just uh, finished for um, this last cycle. And, and again, I want to say Joe Maurer will be on the ballot next year uh, to all of the the baseball like writers and uh, hall of fame voters who are definitely listening to this episode. Um, and maybe more importantly, if you're part of the, the mini or like the Minnesota Twins fan community, I don't know if you don't think Joe Bowers is, is a surefire Hall of Famer. I don't. I don't know what to do with you. Um, read a book, um, like maybe like a baseball stats encyclopedia leaning book, but a book nonetheless. Um, so. Baseball. I've been Cody Narvis, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore VH.
0: It seemed like there was an ask there. Did, were you trying to get them to vote for Joe Maurer? And then you it was just a call sort of, to action, yeah, for sure. Okay. It, it doesn't seem like you actually squared that circle, but yeah, vote for it Joe was, Maurer, I guess. Ca- it was
2: casual. I, I came out pretty strong, but then I realized like hmm, there's probably not a lot of overlap between... Call me crazy. There's probably not a lot of Venn diagrammy overlap between voters. Uh, one of like the handful of like couple hundred voters who can vote for the baseball hall of fame and people who might be interested in like local Minneapolis. Um, no, they're all Yang cinema. guys.
0: Actually, they're all Yang oh, gang, shit, really? and they're listening close. Um, and this is probably their favorite of the Yang movies because it's the one that's most associated with baseball that I've seen anyway. So true. Uh, I've been Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Harry. He's a big guy, over six feet
2: tall and over 220 pounds. He's worked hard for what he has. He started from scratch with his bare hands. Now he lives in a wealthy neighborhood. I heard it used to be only for white people. Others couldn't buy houses there. But some Taiwanese paid cash for houses. Now lots of Taiwanese immigrants live there. He likes guns. While I was there, he'd take me to either a baseball game or the shooting match. He killed someone once, a black person. Later, the police came, and he was acquitted. He said that in the States, if you see a suspicious person in your yard, you can shoot them dead, drag them into your house, and plant an unregistered gun on them. They call it self-defense. You're not guilty.